0: Hello, my name is Josh Roan and I'm lead pastor here at Zion Church, a United Methodist congregation in York, Pennsylvania. We're a church with a physical location, but we also have an online presence each and every weekend. But today, I want to thank you for joining us for our podcast, something that's a little bit different rather than the songs and the hymns and all those different things that are part of our regular weekend experiences. This is just the main scripture and the sermon, an opportunity for us maybe to hear again God's word, which we tuned into this weekend, or maybe an opportunity to hear it afresh and anew. So I would encourage you as the week begins to listen in and to lean in to what God is saying to you. Thank you for joining us. Our first scripture that we're reading this evening is an Old Testament lesson coming from the prophet Joel. If you want to follow along, you can find it in the Old Testament portion of your Pew Bible on page 831. I'm gonna be reading Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 12 through 17. Again, in the Old Testament portion of your Pew Bible, page 831. Joel, the second chapter, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 12 through 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness spread upon the mountains. A great and powerful army comes. Their like has never been of old, nor will be again after them in ages to come. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent, And leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord, your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the children, even infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride, her canopy. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the prides and the ministers of the Lord weep. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. And not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? It seems not too long ago that I was standing here and it was New Year's. And we were talking about making resolutions. And indeed, as the new year begins, that's where many of us start out. We start out with the making of resolutions, engaging in that process of deciding as individuals or a family the things that we might give up, the things that we might do, maybe more exercise, eating healthy, tuning back on the time that we spend in front of the TV, maybe eliminating the time that we're spending in front of the computer. And as we're all well aware, though, that process... That process of making resolutions, it's a pretty easy one. It's easy to sit there in our living rooms without anyone around us, without any accountability in place, to sit there and just make our list. To say, this is what I'm going to give up, or this is what I'm going to do for the season ahead." But where the rub really comes, where the difficulty lies, is in the days and in the weeks that come. And that's where the process of making those, those resolutions and keeping them actually becomes rather difficult as we live them out in daily, daily life. And that's often why about a month in, the gym memberships begin to lapse and all those people who signed up and said, I'm going to go down to Planet Fitness and I'm going to be on that treadmill every single day end up being the ones who are eating the bagels that they provide free of charge. That's why those cupboards that we cleaned out very quickly accumulate with the little Debbie's and the hostess cakes once again. That television that sat silent as we said, you know what, I am going to commit to read all these books this year. That television's now blaring and that book is now on the shelf, accumulating dust. But what I've found over the years as a pastor is many times we treat Lent as if it's a little more than a second chance at those New Year's resolutions. An opportunity to think about what we might like to change about ourselves and maybe make a resolution in hopes that it will come to fruition. In fact, oftentimes the list is rather similar. For 40 days we say, I'm going to give up caffeine. No more coffee. Or, you know what? I'm going to give up those sugary treats. I'm not going to eat red meat this year. I'm going to Maybe try out a vegetarian diet. Or maybe we're going to give up a vice that we've held near and dear to our hearts in hopes that something's going to change. Or you know what? This year, that anger that I've been so prone to, I'm going to give it up. But usually we fast from these things with the best of intentions. We renounce our dependence upon chocolate our coffee our sugar, some other vice. And we say, you know what? I'm going to learn to trust in God this year. And this this evening, as I stand before you, I don't want to decry that. I don't want to diminish those attempts on our parts. Denouncing those practices, they have a valid reason to do so. Those things are important. Fasting is a spiritual discipline for each and every one of us. It has its place, its time, its purpose, its significance even in our spiritual formation. But that said, the season of Lent is not about making just one more resolution, seeking to abstain from one thing in hopes of making our lives better, in, pr- in hopes of improving our attitude or maybe altering our behaviors for 40 days. Yes, by forgoing these things, we enter into the wildness or even the wilderness, so to speak, because stripped away of these things, Stripped away of these things that we depend upon in a pinch, we're left to wrestle for ourselves with who we are, with who we are in Christ, with how he has shaped us and forms us, with how he is making us new in him. Yet the season of Lent, as I've found over the years, it isn't just about our undoing, It's not just about finding where our weaknesses lie, pinpointing that chocolate or that caffeine that we need in a fix. It's not just about us coming face to face with our weaknesses. It's not just about us renouncing whatever it is that we hold on to when things get tough. The season of Lent isn't just about being reminded of our mortality. And our inability to trust our own instincts. Yes, the season of Lent is about journeying into the wilderness. It is about discovering those things. It is about being confronted by our inability to get through the wilderness on our own, the fact that we need Christ, we need his leading and guidance. It is about realizing that we are dust and that to dust we will one day return. Yet for all the practices that we give up, for all the behaviors that we say we're going to renounce over these next 40 days, we also have to determine what practices we're going to take up. Those things that we are going to do to fill that time and that space. Because for all the attitudes we set aside, we have to discern what Christ-like attitude we want to see displayed in our lives with the help of the Holy Spirit. For all the things that we give up to deepen our faith in Jesus Christ, we have to realize what we're filling that space with. Is it time in prayer where we talk with God and and develop that love relationship with him? Is it learning his will and way more as we read scripture? In today's text from the prophet Joel, we find that he's encouraging two particular means of engagement. Two ways for us to move forward as we embark on this wilderness journey that we're finding ourselves in for these next 40 days. Two ways for us to think about and give shape to this journey that we're going to find ourselves on. Two images that speak deeply, I think, about our desire for Christ over these next 40 days. The first image that Joel provides is that of rending. Now, for the Hebrew people of Jules' day, this was an image that they understood deeply at the core of who they were. It was a familiar practice. Commonly, this practice involved the forceful and expressive tearing of a person's garment, standing here and actually tearing a piece of cloth. And I thought about doing that tonight, but then I thought, no, you might mistake me for Hulk Hogan. don't want to flex my muscles too much. No, but in all seriousness, as they tore, tore that garment in two, it wasn't a sign of strength. It wasn't a, a sense of posturing. It, it wasn't a way of outdoing or showing strength to your opponent. No, that, that act of rending was a sign of contrition. It was a way of showing heartbreak. And heartache. It was often accompanied with the placing of dirt or even ash on a person's forehead. Of being reminded of our weakness, of our frailty. Of just the sorrowful state of humanity. And we see this again and again throughout the Old Testament. Thinking back to some scriptures that you may be familiar with, after the ark was stolen... After Eli's two sons were killed, the messenger, for example, came and he came with his clothes torn in two. He literally lay himself bare, recounting to Eli, recounting to someone, someone that he respected, all that had happened as that messenger came with his clothes torn apart, it was a sign of humility, it was a sign of pain. It was a way of communicating the brokenness of that situation that seemed like all had been lost. And similarly, King David, when he found out that Absalom had killed his brothers, he, he tore his garments in two his clothes torn apart just as his heart was breaking maybe it was an exasperation maybe it was out of frustration but this much was true his heart his heart felt like it had been torn into pieces in that moment second reason throughout scripture we where we find someone rending their clothes was expressing indica- indignation or anger. In the New Testament, there was a high priest who tore his garments in two when he believed that Jesus was committing blasphemy. He was so frustrated, so angry by what he thought was an injustice that he just could not control himself, and he tore, tore his garments in two. In both instances, whether that instance from the Old Testament or the New, the rending of one garment is associated with sorrow, with frustration, with heartbrokenness in the face of death or injustice, the perceived unrightness of a singular situation. I would encourage you tonight to think about that in the context of what Joel has to say. His admonition to us rend our hearts. Throughout this season of Lent, one of the practices that we should be practicing is that of laying ourselves bare, of opening ourselves up and coming honestly before God. All pretense stripped away, all posturing gone, all masks removed. It means with the help of the Holy Spirit throughout this season of Lent we should be examining our lives. We should be looking at our attitudes. We should be taking a long, hard look at our behaviors. And we should be looking at those things not in light of what we think but in light of God's will and way. And where the two don't match up, where our attitude is not like that of Christ Jesus, where our heart does not beat and yearn for the things of God we need to openly open ourselves up and confess those things to God holding nothing back where we've been guilty of perpetrating injustices our hearts have to be grieved by that by that disparity between what God believes and wills as just and the way that we've lived our lives the systems that we've perpetuated systems that we've continued to build up. Where we've asserted our wants and desires over what God wills and wants. There too, our hearts must be broken. And the way that we express that brokenness, the way that we give voice to that disparity between God's will and way and the way that we're living our lives is through the act of confession. By confessing to God the ways that we've fallen short, by telling him the ways that we have failed to be that person that we know he desires us to be. By confessing to God the sins that we've committed and the ways that we've fallen short. To be honest with God about the multitude of ways in which we've relied upon our own strengths rather than his. Or we've made decisions that benefit us rather than his kingdom or the ways that we've exercised our own wisdom rather than seeking His wisdom. In that act of rending, in that process, and in that voice of confession, we acknowledge how wrong we've been. We also acknowledge the ungodly attitudes that we've entertained, but also our desire to become Christ-like. The desire that we have be more like him and the second image that Joel puts out there is that of return and again for the people of Joel's day for people who have been in exile that notion that idea of return means so very much to them because for them it's the process the, the promise of restoration it's the hope of renewal it's the promise of returning home of going back to that place that God has promised the desert no longer being their home. That notion is profound for them. But really, I think it's profound for us if we stop and think about it tonight because it's that same image that's expressed in the parable of the prodigal son. That wayward child who has gone away and done their own thing, who has lived life according to their own terms, who's really messed things up. But finally, coming to their senses when they're at the lowest of the low, when they're in that pigsty, in that pig pen, when they're beat up by life and they feel like they have nowhere else to turn, when all pretense has been stripped away, they can finally come to the realization of what they've done, the sins that they've committed, the wrongs that they've done. They can confess those things, but then they can also return home. They can go back to their father's love. And that's what the prodigal does in that story, right? The prodigal returns home. He goes back to those familiar surroundings, to the benefits, the blessings, the security that he knows. He returns home and he experiences peace. But that return couldn't have happened without that rending. It couldn't have happened without that acknowledgement of wrongs being done, of sins having been committed. It couldn't have happened without coming to grips that this current situation, this current way of life, which is so wrong, it needs to be rejected in favor of home and a parent's love. And that's why that act of rending is so powerful, but even more powerful is that act of returning home when we return home we return as the same person yet we're different we have new perspective we have new appreciation we celebrate that love that we used to spurn we enjoy that life that we once rejected in fact our heart beats for home we return home to that place that love that we once took for granted And we return with greater sacrifice for the love of a parent, for the sacrifices that have been made and for their persistent love even when we rejected it. This Lent, we willingly and we willfully enter into the wilderness. We enter into the wilderness to be reminded of and have stripped away all those false securities. All those things that we've relied upon all those things that we've put our trust in that have failed us and have faltered before us. But confronted by those misplaced trusts, confronted by our strength which has been misplaced, we can now rend, we can confess those things to God and return to Him and accept His love in fresh new ways. And We look forward to what's on the other side of the wilderness, don't we? We look forward to a Heavenly Father whose arms are stretched wide open for us. A Heavenly Father who's waiting for us to return to Him. A Heavenly Father who is ready to welcome us and say, my child, welcome home. Friends, these next 40 days can be incredibly tough. The wilderness will present its challenges. But in the end, the wilderness is worth it. Because we emerge on the other side of land. We emerge on the other side of the wilderness with new perspective. With a new focus. With a new vitality that we find in the spirit as we walk with Christ. Often we emerge more humble, more appreciative of God's great and sacrificial love for us. And We also tend to emerge more willing to align our lives with his love, with his will and way. So friends, may this Lenten season for us not just be a time of making more resolutions, more resolutions to live better, to do better, to be better. But may it be a time of rending our hearts. And may it be a time of us returning to the Lord our God with all of our heart. All of our soul all of our mind and all of our strength amen and amen